Welcome to ConX, a global leadership platform for construction executives. Today, I have Judy on the phone with me. How are you doing, Judy? I'm doing great, Scott. So how do you pronounce your last name? Ah, uh, it's Brat. B, like it's, it, the name is B-R-A-D-T, but you pronounce it like there's no D. Brat. Uh, People try uh. to be friendly and put an N in there and all this kind of stuff <laughs> and going, Nah, really, it's brat. When I got married, I'd been a brat for 27 years, and I at least at that point I left my home and native land, the computer industry, um, everything to do with everything, and got married and moved to Washington D.C. And so I wanted to remember who I was, so I kept my last name. <laughs> well, um, rather than uh, me describe you uh, in your background, although I'd love to. Um, I tell us about yourself. Where did you grow up? What did you what, what have you done in your career? What do you do now? That thing. So let's we'll start. Where did you grow up? Um, I grew up in Canada. Um, those of those who are familiar with sort of upstate New York, I was born in Stony Creek, which is about an hour and a half north of or an hour or so north of Buffalo, uh -huh. and moved to Oshawa, the city that motivates Canada, the home of General Motors of Canada in 1969. I went to the University of Toronto and McMaster University and got a, um, a general arts degree. Of it was the last class at the University of Toronto that they let take 20 courses of anything you wanted, which meant I was qualified <laughs> for nothing whatsoever. When I graduated in 1981 with a general arts degree and the economy was about to go into the tank. So I decided that the best place to go was to hide out in business school. And so by the time I graduated in 1984, IBM Canada was hiring business grads hand over fist. And I really struggled, I have to tell you, with business school. After kind of kind of read essay, sort of read book, write essay, that was great, mm -hmm. but I had no structured study skills by the end of my undergraduate degree. And so I really envy the people who had engineering degrees and knew how to study structured things. Because I got to business school and I failed all my first term midterms because I had no structured study skills. Mm -hmm. I didn't understand that you had to read thing and then uh, pay attention to lecture and then write quiz. I still remember my um, getting my first financial accounting thing said, name five methods of depreciation. And I went, well, why would anybody give me points for looking five things up in the textbook and writing them down? So I made five up. That was not <laughs> what was required. I am not making, so after I failed all my first term midterms, I did the only sensible thing I could imagine. I left town and went to a debating tournament. <laughs> but but here's why that actually helped. Because, because I was going to miss classes, I actually read the textbook. Not mm -hmm. only did I read the textbook, but I read too far in the textbook and I got ahead of the stuff in the lecture. And I showed up in the lecture and went, oh, Oh, this sounds familiar. Cute. What about reading the material before the, wow, I could do that. Anyway, so I managed not to fail my business degree. <laughs> a time of my life I remember in black and white rather than in color. And I left, because I want, you know, sometimes you struggle through all the basic classes. Honestly, the amount of my time, I, my professor's time I spent with a box of tissues in the microeconomics professor's office just crying my eyes out was ridiculous. Um, but um, I got to the second year of the business degree, and there was strategy. And I went, 
okay, this is a class that included 25% of the mark for class participation. I went, okay, now we know how to play this game. Never mind the fact that production and management science was a, a, a class I barely passed. It's mm -hmm. okay. And so one another one of the reasons why I have such tremendous admiration for everyone in the construction industry who knows how to do a Gantt chart and how to go and schedule a job and how to estimate, oh my goodness, those are incredible, wonderful skills that I don't have. But it's, <laughs> but I have, I have strategy skills, which is why I love working with talented, experienced people in the construction industry, because I can help folks take those, the things that I love to do and help folks find the people you're genuinely meant to serve. But in order to do that, which is what takes me to the next part of the story, when I left business school, the, we're talking about the mid eighties. And at that point, the personal computing was just about to come out of the lab and off the slab in mm -hmm. Boca Raton and change the face of computing forever. Okay. The, and so I was captivated by what was going to be happening with the computer industry. IBM Canada was hiring business grads hand over fist. And they told me I was going to use my business strategy skills to help businesses thrive. I went, this was great. It took me six months to realize that I was employed by the planet's largest sales organization. I was so horrified that I literally left the country. Where'd you go? Well, I went to Washington D.C. I wanted to make a bigger difference on uh, on a, in a bigger scale and scale on a bigger stage, and I didn't want to sell things. I wanted to be a consultant. So I applied to the International Monetary Fund and the uh, Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development and the, the World Bank. And I got a lot of fancy rejection letters, but somebody suggested I file a resume and a cover letter at the Canadian Embassy in Washington, D.C. So I did that and I tried and I failed and I tried and I failed and I tried a third time. I figured out how the interview system worked and I got in. And so in 1988, I picked up bag and baggage and moved from Toronto to the Canadian Embassy in Washington, D.C., where I did consulting for 15 years as a trade commissioner. Mm -hmm. Canada and the United States had just signed Canada-U.S. free trade. And so I helped thousands of American and Canadian companies do business together, serving the federal government under the trade agreements. So I became Canada's top expert in helping Canadian companies be partners and do business in the U.S. federal arena. Oh, that's interesting. How did, uh, is it true that everybody from Canada is nice? Actually, what's even more true is if you're not nice, they take away your passport. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, well, my wife's from Michigan and Michigan, they're not so nice, but you cross the border. Uh -huh. and it's just, uh, well, I, I shouldn't say that because I'm going to get some hate mail now. But uh, I think but, there are many nice people in Michigan and um, I have talked to dozens of them. They, so, uh, so, well, you know, you've ever heard the story of the Wolverine? That's the, the you know. No. Wolverine is the University of Michigan mm -hmm. mascot, and that Wolverines are not native to Michigan. The reason oh. they use a Wolverine, and this is a true story, and I didn't believe it until I looked it up, is because Wolverines describe the type of personality that most Michiganders have. So, uh, <laughs> this is so a true story. I, I love that. I love that the adjective "fierce" yes. comes to my mind, <laughs> and how glorious that is. Fierce and cunning and tactical and strong 
and smart and survivor. So all you Michiganders out there, a uh, big shout out. You got it going on. <laughs> so, so, so where are you at now? Okay. You, you well, I left the embassy in 2003 to launch my company, Summit mm -hmm. Insight. And so for nearly 20 years, I've, so for, uh, for 33 years, I've been a subject matter expert in winning federal business. Mm -hmm. I've written two books, Government Contracts Made Easier. The second edition is an Amazon number one bestseller. But despite that, by, by the time I hit 20, 2014, I had a dirty little secret. I could tell you just about anything you wanted to know, anything at all about federal contracting and mm -hmm. mentor protege and FARs and regulations and proposals, anything you wanted to know at all, except for one little thing, how someone actually won the business. It wasn't like I didn't want to tell you. I honestly didn't know, mm -hmm. which didn't really matter till the day it really, really did. And I ended up, ever have one of those contracts that's kind of, this is more common with consulting in your consulting engineers, perhaps, than um, uh, building production. But you've got a whole lot of front end stuff. And then the 80% of the work is just kind of maintenance and just keeping the lights on, right? Yes. Not bad, especially when you're getting paid regularly all the way through. And the, yeah, that was one of those contracts. It was a full year contract. And my business had struggled. I did some things that people were helpful, but honestly, I didn't have a really great value proposition until I hit this turning point in 2014. And I was going to be working with seven companies for a whole year, helping them understand their sales plan, do their targeting and coaching them while they made the sales calls, or at least mm -hmm. that was what the um, the job was was supposed to be. So I got to the end of the first part of delivering the sales plan and saying, here you go, guys. We'll see you Monday. Make some calls. And they said, when are you making the introductions? I said, the what? They said, the introduction. I went, no, 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 no. They said, yes, 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 yes. I said, no, 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 no. They said, uh-huh. So I went through shock and anger and denial and all the stages of grief. And at the end of that, I had to pull up my big girl uh, socks and pick up the phone and make calls. Mm-hmm. I was on the hook for thousands of calls, hundreds of introductions for 40 months. Sounds epic, right? Wow. Except I only had three problems. First, I have a graduate degree. I don't make sales calls. Yeah, well, that ship had sailed. Yeah. Second, this was my contract for the whole year. This was it. In the words of the immortal Gene Krantz, NASA mission controller, failure was not an option. But, but third... I was terrified that somebody would think I was a gigantic fraud because I'd written books and I didn't know how to do this thing. So I picked up the phone and it was awful. It was awkward. I didn't know what to say. <sighs> a day after day of just horribleness. And this was just going to go on and on and on. But I knew I had to keep doing it. But it got better. And the four things I learned, the four critical things I learned out of that experience. At the end of that year, I went, I am never going to do this. Wait a second. I cannot be the only person who's a subject matter expert, who's really good at what I do, but doesn't know how to do this thing. And the only things that were stopping me from incredible success, the only things that were stopping me from success were all made up, were all myths. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you what those four myths are and why they don't need to get in anybody's way. And, and so I think we're all waiting on pins and needles. Tell us. <laughs> the first thing is there's no such thing as selling to the government. There's only 
selling to people. There, and now everyone who's listening knows, if you think about it, what percentage, I'll ask you, Scott, of your business you've ever won in your life for the companies you work for have come from relationships? Uh, everyone. <laughs> there you go. So anybody who either has never done business with the federal government or is kind of struggling and wishing they could do more, business comes from relationships. If you're in business and have ever won work, you already have the single most important piece of knowledge that you're ever going to need to be successful in the federal market. Now, I'm going to give you an image that's going to be real hard to undo. Okay. Ruby slippers. Mm -hmm. You already have everything you need to get where you want to go. You just need to know how to use it. That is the core of my practice. So you've got to wrap that around a little bit of technical stuff. But myth number one, there's no such thing as selling to the government. Mm -hmm. Okay. The second thing I learned came from this light bulb moment that I had after call after call after call and these seven companies let me tell you they were doing everything from city block sized emergency backup generators to waterless shampoo to uninterruptible power supplies glass lock food containers and honestly my very favorite oh water purification systems but my favorite root canal equipment Really? I was literally dialing for dollars for endodontics. And my light bulb moment, if this doesn't sound awful enough, and I mean, I actually had personal experience with root canals. I know that root canals happen even if you floss and you're morally upright. Mm -hmm. it, it stopped, it, it, but So I was on the phone with Dr. Ned Robertson. It was like my third call talking to Dr. Ned with the Indian Health Service in Penobscot, Maine. And Dr. Ned said, good thing you caught me today because I'm going to be off on Tuesday. He was telling me about his nephew who had just applied to Georgetown Medical School. He's so proud. And, well, you know what he was doing on his Tuesday off? Pins and needles, right? What? Actually, he was pins and needles. He was sewing curtains. Yeah. And, by the way, those people at B&L Biotech, sure, no problem. He'll set up a call with them. Just uh, tell his assistant some days and we'll get it on the calendar. And he hung up the phone. And I stopped. Mm -hmm. I said, that was it? That was all I had to do. Well, jeepers. So selling, and this jives with your real experience, all the mythology we make about, up about selling, it's made up because of this primal fear we have. It's wired into our, our whole neurology as human beings, fear of rejection. But Absolutely, selling yeah. isn't about pitching. It's about listening. My job started with hearing their stories. I mean, Air Force Colonel Dr. Linda just got promoted to run the postgraduate dental college. Army Warrant Officer Sarah at Fort Bragg was heading out to make a presentation at Fort Huachuca. Ned and Sarah and Linda, they all had problems, but my clients had solutions for them. I just had to be willing to take the time to keep showing up and get to know them. And I would just keep showing up because I knew I had something that mattered. I'd done my research. I knew that they needed what I did. So once they knew I cared about them, what they were doing, something nearly magical happened. They told me what they needed. They were willing to hear about maybe how I could help them. Mm -hmm. Does that sound really what the journey of actual sales is all about in your experience, Scott? Yeah. And, you know, what's what's interesting about it is, is that at the end of the day, it is the government, but the government is made up of people. You know, yeah. and that's a that's a that's the thing that people miss. And I, I'm glad to hear you say that because uh, 
Um, relationships yeah, you- get, relationships will help you and get you out of trouble. No kidding. And that strong relationship is also going to help you navigate. Do you ever have a project where something went tango uniform? Yeah, Yeah, just a little. (laughs) Happens all the time. And so we we are partners with our customers, which means our federal buyers in particular are some of the most risk averse humans we are ever going to meet. They have everything on the line when they choose us. It's not just a mechanical thing to award a contract. For them, the, think about it, having a perfect file full of millions and millions of contracts awarded and no problems and perfect delivery. If they have a file filled with that track record, what do you think that does to their to their promotion prospects? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, that, that's, and, and you know, you got to realize that they don't want problems, you know. And, mm-hmm. and it's, I think sometimes people forget that when they work with the government, they they forget yeah. that they're a consumer like anybody else. And the better customer service you provide, the better you're going to do. So yes. And you don't really think about when you're just uh, running down, uh, running down the roof with a nail gun or whatever it is that you're doing that you're, you're holding somebody's life and career and personal financial security in your hands. And here's why, whether or not somebody gets, has a great file, their government uh, personnel file full of great track record and even ooh letters of commendation from industry. It affects, if your file is just that much better than the next person's, you're more likely to get promoted, right? Follow me on this, okay? Mm-hmm. Stay with me on this. Then what happens at the end of their career? If you're working in government, what's the great thing about working in government even today? Well, he. What do you get at the end? Uh, retirement. Yes. So, what's your retirement pension based on? Best three years of salary. That comes from when did you get the promotion? What was your final salary? Your best three years. So, if you get that promotion, that best three years, that affects everything about whether your kids are going to the best college, your grandkids are going to Disney, you get to go to Santorini. Got it. So let me ask you this, uh, you know, you, you kind of went through like, uh, you know, a, a, a synopsis of what you guys do. What uh-huh. has been some of the big game changing events that you've had, you know, within your, within your organization that have kind of shaped your future? The big game changer I had was that experience in 2014 when after having spent a year doing frontline lead generation and sales for seven companies, I realized that there was a method, there was a way, there were four steps. Well, I thought there were three, but a couple of years ago, I realized there was a fourth one that people who wanted to be successful in the federal market all took. And somebody who was either stuck or wanted to change their success, I could teach them those four things. And it didn't have to take a whole year. I could teach people how to do this in eight weeks. And suddenly I had something that people saw the value in. Hmm. That completely changed what it was I was able to offer, the difference I could make for people, and the structure of how I helped people. So that was the the big, real watershed moment for me was 2014. And the second piece, the second game changer for me, happened when I started to, about three years ago, I started to follow up and with some of the companies I've been doing this with 50 or 60 companies, nobody ever said, this is a stupid approach. 
they did say, some people did say, you know what? This was tactically brilliant. I didn't do the work. I got to own that. I said, all right, how do we change that? So three years ago, I took apart everything I had been doing. And I piloted not one, not three, but five different programs. And I nearly lost my mind as well as my shirt. But at the end of that, I said, what is it that's missing? So the three steps, what I thought was three, and I'll tell you what the missing one was, the things that people do when they're successful in the federal market are these. First, beef up and buff up your federal sales game. Understand what I call the players at all five layers and what to do what to say and what to ask to build relationships with them. If you're going to, if you are successful in the federal market, you know this to be true. If you thought about it, you have players at five different types of, or layers of jobs or responsibilities in the federal market. And you have different relationships. They all need different things, contracting end user, small business, industry, and the stakeholder. Each of them needs something different. And you've got relationships at all five layers. So that, that understanding that alone, Saves people a whole year of expensive messing around when you know what to do, what to say, and what to ask. So sales game's the first piece. Second piece, make a confident choice based on hard data of where you're going to focus. For most people, that's usually three to five federal agencies, sometimes less, and concentrate all your effort there and not get distracted. There's tons of distractions in the federal union. Oh, a small business conference. Oh, somebody sent me an RFP. Oh, this. Oh, mm-hmm. bluebirds. Mm-hmm. It's expensive and nasty. So that all stops when you focus based on hard data. Third step, build a structured federal sales plan around just those target agencies. Average sales plan, average customer relationship database shows you who you know. A great plan shows you who you don't know but need to know and have a methodical, systematic way to knit that together. Now, that's what I'd done with about 60 companies, but not, lots of them were doing the work and paying the money and not getting the results. So we fixed that with the fourth step. The missing part was this, use the plan. How hard was that? Well, there was, actually, it was, here's the thing. I was failing to tap something absolutely free and plentiful in all of us as human beings, dopamine. Mm-hmm. We as humans are wired to do more of the things that experience tells us make us successful. It's the thing that for better or worse keeps us pulling the lever in Vegas or doing those other things. Maybe it's doing a great workout once you know you're successful and get in the groove. Thing is, somebody, Mike Oz Redker, really lovely business development executive from Kansas City, said to me uh, decades ago when I was researching my first book, he said, you know, he said, Swimming in, so doing business with the federal government is like swimming in the ocean with no mileposts. I went, ugh, how yucky. How could we fix that? Mm-hmm. And that was what took me back to write my first book. But it was also the idea of having momentum, not only knowing where you're going, but, and this is what we changed, having small steps that you know are taking you to the goal, not just your goal, but taking you to your federal buyer's goal. Each of those players at each layer, they have a different thing that matters to them. They return the calls from the people that they know, get it, that they know every time you talk to them, every time Scott calls, something good happens. Scott always has somebody for me. Scott always has, even if he's just cheers cheers up my day. Scott, Scott was the one who knew where I could get obedience training for my dog. Scott's the one who knows when my kids' birthdays are, because I told him. 
not because you like skulked around and found it. So to be able to make a, that, that, that level of that minute level of difference that every time you talk to somebody, this is something I call micro engagement, mm -hmm. really tap micro engagement magic. When we work with our clients, you really get to know the individual federal humans, the players at each layer in every single one of the offices where you know you can be successful. And you've, you've got a way to move that relationship forward with every call. So this, this has become the core of my work. So you asked me, what were those turning points? The one was being dropped off and having to face my biggest fear that I ran away from for 25 years, sales. And I discovered sales was not what I thought it was. Mm -hmm. I promise for Mythbusters, the third one is nobody ever died from making a phone call. In fact, I can tell you it is possible to feel like you're going to die from making a phone call. <laughs> I, I don't fact, know. I, the, I know some people that may think may actually have died if they, you know, make a phone call. Some introverts. Well, yeah, yeah, but but seriously, I mean, in fact, there's an old joke. The th the thing that pe the third most third greatest fear people have is dying. The second greatest fear people have is speaking in public. The greatest fear that people have is dying while speaking in public. And that includes being on a sales call, I think. Yes, so, I, I agree. 82% of buyers say they've accepted meetings with salespeople after a series of contacts beginning with a cold call. In fact, 92% of all customer interactions happen over the phone. So as business owners and professionals, our, our, the lives of our businesses literally depend on it. So let me ask you, how are you, you know, it sounds like you got a good, good system in place and you've done a lot of research. So what's the next step for you and what you do? I guess the I'm asking the future. Yeah. Next step for me in what I do, um, there are a couple of things. Um, and one of those could be in working with, um, and whether it's an organization or an association that wants to bring together a cohort of people that might want to work together, not only learn how to go and take these four steps to learn the sales game, focus, get your plan, use the plan, but to work together for six or 12 months as a cohort because research done by Shirzad Shamin, author of the book, Positive Intelligence, mm -hmm. shows that people who work together in an accountability group or pod it's the reason why some masterminds work well, are five times more likely to implement a new way or approach than people who kind of just read the book. Ever go on a retreat or read a great book or hear a great talk and everything's going to change and nothing ever changes, even though you went to Hawaii to see it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So to be for me, I think the next step would be to have an organization that wants to bring together a cohort. Maybe um, it's the um, Association of General, uh, General Constructors, who, whatever it is, um, and to be able to work with that group for a whole year. For me, that would be fabulous. I would so enjoy doing that. As it is, I only work with one company at a time. And so it's a really curated experience. What I do is not a course. It's not a class. It's not a database. I work solidly once a week for a couple of hours with up to 10 people from an individual company. And we get the work done. But sometimes we'll get to the end of the eight weeks and someone will say, don't leave us. So we can do six or 12 months mentorship and stay in the groove, which is great. 
but the idea of being able to work with a cohort of people, I could only imagine the power that would come out of that because I really believe in the federal arena that opportunity is not pie, it's dough. Add warmth, it rises and there is more for everyone. What's you know? I think that you one of the things that you said that you you know listen to some of the things that you hit on is uh, it's one thing to see, it's one thing to hear, it's one thing to read, you know, it's a whole nother thing to do, you know, and whatever you do, the doing aspect of it is such a huge thing, and it seems like that has been a a, a big game changers for you that I guess that's that fourth principle, you know? It It is. I mean, it, in fact, I just looked it up because you were reminding me of the full quote, which is attributed to Confucius. I'm not a big quote person, but it, it was, I hear and I forget. I see and I remember. I do and I understand. And it, it, what's funny about that too is like, and I go a step further and I say, teach teach it <laughs> yep. because see one do one teach one you yes. we teach the thing we most need to learn i i love that that remind because the thing i most needed to learn because i care very deeply about relationships i fail every single day at some aspect of it but i know but i'm not expecting um i'm a big fan of the work of brene brown and I, her anatomy of trust, her seven principles of how trust is built. I teach that in application in federal contracting, in in part of uh, in part of the relationship building section in the second half of my program, because I will um, borrow the advice of Dr. Maya Angelou. People will forget what you said. People will forget what you did but people will never forget how you made them feel. And that is from the first touch, from the first voicemail. And that's a, and that's a, that's absolutely uh, paramount. I can't say that enough. Uh, I know we have limited time here today, so I want to, I want to jump to something real quick. Um, and that's a, you know, a, a word of advice that you would give. If you had somebody who was, you know, getting in the federal industry or wanting to come into a specific industry or working with the government, um, both personal and professional, what advice would you give them? Two pieces. I think focus on relationships and stop it, which is to say, stop looking at what can I bid and move upstream and ask yourself the question, who is my buyer? Who are my buyers, my players at all the layers, and how can I get in front of them? So that shatters what I call opportunity illusion. Mm -hmm. In the federal market, there's databases with thousands of things. It should look easy. There's so many opportunities, but why is somebody else winning all this stuff? Shatter opportunity illusion and have that experience like you just got a pair of glasses and you can finally see when you move, up, move upstream, who are my buyers and do that detective work and get in front of them first. So have a relationship based approach. That's one. But the other is give that relationship development the tight focus by starting with hard data, looking at past federal contract data and making a really clear, tight choice on where you're going to focus your efforts. Those two things in combination, if you have 
experience and past performance. You're playing the long game. You're not expecting unicorns pooping rainbows. Mm-hmm. You know you're going to have to work it, and you're determined to do the work. Then that makes all the difference. If you're new and you've got a novice company, you've never done business with the federal government, and you don't know anybody, the federal market is going to be a really hard, nasty place to try to do stuff. But if you've got experience, federal buyers are risk averse. Don't worry about whether you're eligible for this set aside or that one. Qualify for the things you can get. Find good partners where uh, who ha- whose set asides or qualifications complement yours. But federal buyers get truly excited by have you solved their problem for someone who looks just like them yesterday afternoon. Well, I know that we're coming to the end, and I know we have a t- we have a hard time limit here. So I I want to thank you, Judy, and we're going to go ahead and uh, put put your information if one of our listeners would like to reach out to you and get some sure. help. Uh, you're a great resource. I know from my staff, uh, you've been a great resource for them, and uh, I you know I see how you could help a lot of people, especially working in the arena. A lot of people would love to work with the federal government. They just don't know the process or the the way to go through it and uh, my company structured that way and it's and, mm-hmm. and 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 yours is too we do do things from uh, uh different sides you know so but mm-hmm. I, I always give my guest uh the opportunity to give a last word uh to anything they like to say and i just want to thank you judy for being on today well thank you so much you can find my information at growfedbiz.com or call me at 703-627-1074 that's 703-627-1074 check out my website and the free stuff i want you to have a life you love in a business you love for a country you love well, that that's a great that's a great way to end our podcast today. Uh, next week, join us again for another Connex podcast.